Well, let's let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for gathering us this day. We thank you for your great grace. We pray that you would um, continue to bless us and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I neglected earlier to remind you to announce about the Faith in Blue um, gathering this evening in the parking lot of the Victory Church, which is about a mile down the road uh, east that way (laughs) Um, on your left um, from 630 to 830. So everyone's invited. The atonement, the at one month accomplished by our Savior, as you know, is deep and wide. And this afternoon, I just want to give you a brief reminder of one of the marvelous accomplishments of our Savior in His cross work. Please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. The epistle of St. Paul the Apostle to the Colossians. Look down to verse 10. Speaking of Jesus of Nazareth, Paul writes... You are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead." And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them, openly triumphing over them in it. We'll stop there. The New International Version translates verse 15 there. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The Net Bible renders it, Disarming the rulers and authorities, he has made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And the ESV renders it this way. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. So listen, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible teaches that in his cross work, One of the accomplishments of Jesus is a disarming of powers and authorities, a neutralizing of rulers and spiritual tyrants, even a spoiling of principalities and powers, a disarming, neutralizing, spoiling. A a disarming, neutralizing, and spoiling so comprehensive that his victory shames them. His victory mocks them. His victory disgraces them. His victory makes an open, 
spectacle and shows them how impotent they are in the face of such a mighty, mighty Savior. Now, listen, the the Colossian converts that Paul's writing to in his day, like others of their day, they had a past in the pagan religions of Rome. A paganism that knew nothing except fear of how invisible things could harm you. And teachers and charlatans of various types would promise protection from these invisible spiritual beings. Um, Come down here to our place. We do a special ritual that will protect you against this. Here's a talisman. Here's an amulet. You wear this, you're going to be protected. Even Christians, think about the, the converts that Paul was dealing with. Even Christian converts could be tempted probably to look to these heretics for help. They weren't far away from the paganism of Rome. So Paul is very quick to instruct these new Christians that Jesus' victory is sufficient to crush the serpent and his minions. And nothing else is needed. You don't need any of these other things. In his cross work, Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities. He's made a spectacle of them in a radical upset through his cross, that implement of torture with which they thought to end him, that cross has become the very symbol of triumph, of victory, of vindication. The principalities and powers, the rulers and authorities of Rome and Israel, as well as their father, the devil, The father of lies captured Jesus, stripped him naked, humiliated, abused, and tortured this man. Held him up to open shame and celebrated before a watching world what they thought was their triumph over him. He crucified him. He's ended. But listen, in spite of the horrific nature of the death Jesus died, Paul sees in it something quite paradoxical. You see, in the cross work of Jesus, God was disarming the powers. He was stripping them naked, revealing them as impotent, triumphing over them, holding them out for public contempt. When Jeannie and I were in Rome... A few weeks ago, we saw several arcs de triumph, arches of triumph. We saw the arch of Titus, the arch of Constantine. We saw the arch of Augustus. And you may, be, you may recall that it was often the practice of the Roman generals after a significant conquest to parade through the city in triumph often through the arch. And they would show off the treasures that they had captured, and they would show off the prisoners that they had brought back with them. 
leading these poor people through the streets, making a public spectacle of them to openly humiliate them before their conquerors. Look what we did. And after the spectacle had ended, the arch remained. And it was still there. A powerful memorial to the conquest and the conquerors. And listen, saints. Paul is teaching that what Satan thought was the end of his hated enemy, once and for all, was the complete opposite. Because death did not have the final say. Because God raised His Son from the dead, proving that He is sovereign and that evil does not get the last word. Paul prayed for the saints at Ephesus. He prayed for them. He wrote to them and said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance is in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. It hath put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 23. Listen. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. John, 1 John 3, verse 8. For as much then as the children are partakers of the of flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, also himself took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hebrews two, fourteen and fifteen. Listen, saints, the Pauline teaching. Pauline teaching is that Satan had no idea what he was getting into. I heard a politician say something the other day that I thought was very wise, which is rare. She was speaking of the bloodlust that some of our current politicians and their desire to get the United States of America more deeply involved in the Russian-Ukrainian war. And she said, quote, They are leading us further and further into war without understanding one of the most basic tenets and characteristics of war, which is, it is unpredictable. Once the first shot is fired, once the first punch is thrown, things become unpredictable. You can plan for things, but they become unpredictable. In his Art of War... Sun Tzu teaches all warfare is based on deception. Therefore, when capable, feign incapacity. When active, feign inactivity. 
When near, make it appear that you are far away. When far away, that you are to lure him, feign disorder and strike him. When he concentrates, prepare against him. Where he is strong, avoid him. Anger his general and confuse him. Pretend inferiority and encourage his arrogance. Listen, saints. Invisible, universal, celestial war. War in heaven. War involving angels, dragons, fire, blood, unseen realities of cosmic proportion. And Satan, the devil, thought he had won. But the Son, the Word, the victor was raised out of death. It could not hold him. Death couldn't hold him. In the second chapter of Acts, the great apostle Peter says of Jesus, God hath raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Acts 2, 24. So listen, Paul teaches that Jesus' cross work not only canceled the debt that we owe to God on account of sin, it was also the means by which God disarmed rulers and powers, authorities. It was the means by which God spoiled principalities and powers. Even though God ordained the cross to deal with our sin, Jesus was nailed to the cross via the actions of secondary agents. Listen, principalities and powers, rulers and authorities, such as Pontius Pilate and the Sanhedrin, even Satan. You believe me? Then entered Satan into the heart of Judas Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Luke 22, verses 3 through 6. Who? Judas. Who? Satan entered his body. Peter preached, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Acts 2, 22 and 23. Who? Who ordained it? God. Who did the evil? Wicked men. What wicked men? You. Me. Accusation is probably Satan's greatest weapon. Accusation. He is called the accuser of the brethren. But the apostolic teaching is that Jesus, our Savior, has removed that weapon from Satan's arsenal. 
disarmed him. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God night and day. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Revelation 13, 10, and 11. Not future, friend. Past. Cast down. Past tense. Done. In Colossians 2.14, Paul spoke of the legal debt that sinners were under. He calls it the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us. And he teaches that by his cross work, Jesus has now set that aside. He says he's nailed it to his cross. Verse two, four, or chapter 2, verse 14. And because of that, no one can condemn us. So Paul can write to the Romans and say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 1. This is how Jesus has disarmed the powers. He's taken away Satan's power to hold sinners to their debt of their sins and trespasses. He's taken from Satan the power of death. So we don't get our wages. We don't get what we've earned. You know, remember the wages of sin is death? And Jesus said, you just pay me. Instead, we get what Christ secured at Calvary. Everlasting life. Listen, that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 11-14. Friends, Satan has been an accuser from the beginning. He tried to accuse Job to God. Remember that? He stood by ready to accuse Joshua, the high priest, Zechariah. And as we read earlier from Revelation, he's been making accusations against every believer to God night and day. He tried to use the demands of the law to destroy God's people. But Jesus, in taking the law's curse upon Himself, has wrestled away the weapon of accusation from Satan. Hear it again. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Now, let me ask you something. How would you feel? How would you feel if you were disarmed? And then paraded through an Arc de Triomphe and made a public spectacle. 
How would you feel? Well, that's what Jesus did to Satan. Beloved, that's glorious. It's also dangerous. Rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knoweth he hath but a short time. Revelation 12, 12. A disarmed, humiliated, angry devil. The great reformer John Calvin put it this way. There is no tribunal so magnificent, no throne so stately, no show of triumph so distinguished, no chariot so elevated as is the gibbet on which Christ hath subdued death and the devil, that prince of death. Calvin says that the devil and his demons, quote, are disarmed so that they cannot bring forward anything against us, the attestation of our guilt itself being destroyed. Spurgeon and Whitfield and Wesley all admired the renowned nonconformist commentator Matthew Henry. And concerning Christ's triumph on the cross, Matthew Henry wrote, The Redeemer conquered by dying. See the crown of thorns turned into a crown of laurels. He spoiled them. He broke the devil's power and conquered and disabled him and made a show of him openly. Exposed them to public shame and made a show of them to angels and men. Never had the devil's kingdom such a mortal blow given to it as was given by the Lord Jesus Christ. He tied them to his chariot wheels and rode forth conquering and to conquer, alluding to the custom of the generals of a general's triumph who returned victorious. Started with the incarnation. A black night. God invades this world with a baby. And Satan tries to kill him, moving Herod to slaughter all the male children. But he misses. He misses. And in the course of time, the master's plan of war unfolded. And at the decisive battle, when Satan thought he had won, the son emerges victorious. And the angels tell the women, Why seek you the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Luke 24, 5 and 6. Disarmed. Spoiled. Humiliated. You want to know why the devil hates you? What a mighty, mighty Savior. The mighty frame of glorious grace, the brightest monument of praise that ere the God of love designed employs and fills my laboring mind. Begin, my soul, the heavenly song, a burden for an angel's tongue. When Gabriel sounds these awful things, he tunes and summons all his strings. 
Proclaim inimitable love. Jesus, the Lord of worlds above, puts off the beams of bright array and veils the God in mortal clay. What black reproach defiled his name when with our sins he took our shame? He whom adoring angels blessed is made the impious rebel's jest. He that distributes crowns and thrones hangs on a tree and bleeds and groans. The prince of life resigns his breath. The king of glory bows to death. But see the wonders of his power. He triumphs in his dying hour. And while by Satan's rage he fell, he dashed the rising hopes of hell. Thus were the hosts of death subdued, and sin was drowned in Jesus' blood. Thus he arose and reigns above, and conquers sinners by his love. Who shall fulfill this boundless song? The theme surmounts an angel's tongue. How low, how vain are mortal airs, when Gabriel's nobler harp despairs. Let's pray.